Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kigongo, and this week I'm joined by Jason from Frozen and Carbonite. Issue 4 of Golden Hour was just released last weekend, so this week we've got an extra special guest, Matt Price, the principal of Golden Hour. Matt, thank you for joining us. Off top, welcome back, Matt. Congratulations on issue number four, which is centered around the work of UK photographer Wig Warland. How did you get in touch with Wig? How did all of this come together? Well, first off, thanks for having me back. I thought maybe I did so poorly last time that I would never be asked again. So it feels nice to to, to come back and know that I didn't screw up. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I uh, I've been a fan of Wig's photos for about a decade now, and we just started kind of like comment. I would say comment flirting on Instagram. He would leave a comment. I would comment back to him or a DM or something, you know, and I, I think like we're both, you know, he, he enjoyed my photos. I really enjoy his photos and we kind of would just shoot the, shoot the shit a bit on Instagram and uh golden hour as a project is something that I've kind of wanted. I have stories in mind that I've had for like years and years that I want to like either tell or make a magazine about or a documentary, depending on what format they come out in. Like that, that doesn't matter. But like certain things that I just have really like stuck in my head forever. One of them was like a, a retrospective of Wig skate photos, just because I think he's like kind of a sleeper on in in the U.S. at least as far as skate photography goes. Uh, not enough people know that he was one of the sickest skate photographers of all time. So yeah, so I I just I hit him up with the idea and was like, dude, you want can I, can we get into your archives to do like a sixty page retrospective and. He uh, he was down. He's turns out he's a really awesome dude. Very cool. Um, Wig is like amazing. I couldn't have asked for a better person to, to be a fan of. You know, he, he was so cool to work with, and he's such a rad, like progressive dude. Like, I don't know. It was it was a really cool experience. Matt Jason here. Thanks for uh, coming back on the broadcast. I think you're the, the first return guest. Am I right? Nice, nice. So, made it. Am I right here? Maybe I have to check, but yeah, I'm pretty sure. So it's like me, me and Ty Sean are on the same level, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Back to back. You got, <laughs> you got to go. You got to go for the hat trick uh, next. But um, yeah, funny. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Funny thing, I, w- I was doing some rudimentary internet research, uh, getting ready for this podcast, and looking through some pictures and stuff like, and he took a bunch of sick ass pictures that I know that I know of that are relatively famous, like like the crooked grind on the block of ice, that one of Cream Campbell, uh. Blindside kills with the fakey. And meanwhile, which is my favorite, of course, you know. And you also have some interviews or quotes, little blurbs about uh, Warland from some heavy hitters in the new new issue of Golden Hour. How did you uh, go about lining all those up? So I kind of it was weird at first. I wanted to get quotes from mostly skaters. Uh, and I did. And I got quotes from, you know, a lot of the skaters that were in the book and people that have worked with Wig. Uh, and cause I wanted it to all feel really relevant to the book, but then the more I talked to photographers, the more I realized that like every skate photographer like loves him as well. And they just said really great things. So it was like a no brainer that I started chasing down photo photographer quotes, essentially, right? Like Ollie Barton and Michael Mealy and, uh, Michael Mealy actually, I, I would drop the ball on that one. And Wig actually was talking to Mike and Mike's like, I'd love to give a quote. And Mike just sent me this like beautiful quote out of nowhere and then we ended up using it for the intro because it was so perfect and like yeah just just through conversations i was skating like probably a couple days before we went to print uh, i was skating with atiba and i told him about what i was doing and stuff and he goes oh dude he's like i still bite wigs lighting to this day and i was like holy shit can i get that in writing and like made sure to get an email from him that night with a quote because uh, and we, we stuck him in last minute 
but yeah, it was uh, it was fun to kind of understand how every other skate photographer that I talked to has been influenced the same way by him, uh, and that was really rad. So I kind of followed that path. So we kind of have a mix of skaters and photographers, but uh, but yeah, man, there's just he's he's kind of touched a bunch of really rad important parts of skateboarding, and that's like uh, I don't know, there's something I really love a story about a behind the scenes kind of like magic person that you that you might not know has done this with that person or was a part of this project or this or that you know and i yeah, yeah. kind of like storytelling that brings those people to the forefront and gives them their kind of day i feel like so i like uh i don't know if you've, you know the documentary super mensch that mike myers made about like shep gordon is a good example of like a, a mainstream version of that where you're just like what this dude did a bunch of crazy shit i had no idea who he was like that's my hope with like the quotes and things like that for people to be like, oh damn, Dill and Atiba and Grant Britton and Swift and Michael Mealy, you know, like this dude's respected by everybody. How do I not know him? You know, I kind of I like that that dynamic. And for some of our listeners who are not familiar with Wig Warland's work or even with magazines like Read and Destroy from the UK, old trans world issues from the 1990s, back when them joints were as thick as uh, an issue of what is it, um, National Geographic. Who is Wig Warland, and why should newer or younger skaters care about his work and his legacy in skateboarding so wig warland wig is a nickname his name is matthew warland uh and wig is his nickname because he had big curly hair and he said he got the nickname as far back as grade school the class clown started calling him wig and it stuck and uh now he said to this day because i was introducing him to a bunch of people i'm like you want me to call you wig or matthew he's like it'll be confusing if you call me matthew just call me wig you know so he's like my parents call me with this point so he's pretty much uh just wig he uh you know he was uh the uk's kind of premier skate photographer in the 90s and into the uh early 2000s he shot a lot for uh read destroy he shot a lot for sidewalk magazine all the uk mags he was a staple he was a trans world correspondent um in the 90s and early 2000s so he got a lot of stuff run over here most of his american coverage was through trans world at the time uh and then yeah he kind of just as people do transitioned out of skating uh he still shoots skating sometimes for fun. He he shot he shoots some stuff for Palace from time to time because he's he's close with those guys over there. Uh, when they recreated when the Palace did the 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 Wadlands Park, uh, you know they recreated the old Radlands Park, and um, Wig shot all that because he shot those original contests with like Rowley and Penny and stuff. So they had Wig come and shoot that park. So if you ever find photos from that when Palace recreated that, like that's all Wig stuff and. Yeah, he's just he transitioned out of skating. He he actually now runs the uh, photo studio for Rafa, the cycling gear company, uh, and he's he's been running their photo studio now for like a decade. Uh, and he still gets out shoot skating from time to time. But uh, but yeah. And so so to me, Wig is just a, a great contributor. And if I was talking to like a fourteen year old or a sixteen year old or someone younger as to why you care about Wig, I'd be like, well, he documented everything you're about right now. You know, if you look at the way young skaters are skating the way they're dressing, the way they want to be photographed. Like kids that hit me up and they're like, oh, let's shoot a fisheye photo, blurry and cool and close up. I'm like, that's just because of Wig and like Spike Jones and other people too. But like, that's, you know, that's what you're into is because of this dude kind of, if that makes sense. You know, like he, he pretty much like put all this era that you're emulating into the history books, you know, a big chunk of it. And I think that's important for people to know as well. So building on that, first of all, let's see if Wig can hook us up with some bikes because that would be hard body. We're going to all do... <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I, I think they I think they mostly do uh, accessories over at Rafa, but I will I will, I will will put in a good word for the mostly skate crew. 
I'm trying to get one of those five-figure bikes, real talk. I'm trying to do the Tour de France real slow. <laughs> but um, you're about to do, you're going to do the Tour de Mid-City, dude. All the way to the <laughs> it's just going to be me, like, just, like, bumbling around on the bike, $10,000, $12,000 bike, whatever. So building on that conversation about Wig and his backstory, why do you think, or why? what is it about UK skating, the UK scene, particularly the 90s, why is it? that people really started to pay attention to it then, at least in your opinion. Uh, Jason, this is an open question for you as well. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, me being someone who wasn't really like around in that era, I probably have a much like less credible take. Jason, I'm curious about your thoughts first. Well, you start so I don't sound stupid, and then I'll piggyback on yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, the UK, well, first, the first person that really blew up was uh, Carl Shitman. Like he kind of came out of nowhere and just totally like kicked ass at one of the Munster contests. I think he was on not Death Box. Um, but, no, he was on Flip, right? Because they just changed him to Flip or something like that. Wait, and like I thought he was on Stereo. What? Well, he... oh, go on, go on. So you know, he was like hot shit at the time. Like you know, that's some y'all playing B or something allegedly. But then he got on stereo, and then he was just fucking awesome. Like, he went to San Francisco, like, destroyed, had a super good part in the stereo video. And then, like, Tom Penny came out and did the whole, like, you know, Tom Penny thing, the Tom Penny magic that everyone knows. You know, I mean, it's been, you know, recited chapter and verse. And, you know, Jeff Rowley came out to California and started kicking ass. So I think it was it was first, like, um, shit, Carl Shipman. Then Tom Payne and Jeff Rowley came out, started kicking ass, like, in the industry, getting lots of coverage on California and shit. And, um, yeah, also kind of Blueprint kind of blew up in the early 2000s, too. I mean, like, they were pretty significant because they made, like, the UK vibe of skating. Like, everything's gray, like, depressing, but in a good way, you know, like, shitty ground. They made that, like, a thing. So that that's kind of my take on it, you know. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I, I was going to say, I was going to liken it to the, the British invasion with the Beatles, right? Like, oh, yeah. you kind of have, like, a few key people that come over and pop off, and then all of a sudden, it's, like, a bunch of other people that were influenced by them that are similar skaters, maybe, you know, get put on the radar, too. Or it's, like, if Carl Shipman or Tom Penny is living out in California, like, and they have a friend who's going to come stay, then that friend ends up being, you know, not saying that it was Jeff Rowley, but you know what I mean? Like, I think it's, like, that it just begats more of that you know, people coming over and being involved in the industry. So, but I think to me, like Tom Penny was such like a, a magical skater and still it is a magical skater. And he really like, it was such a sensation that I feel like it really put eyes on the UK. And then Jeff Rowley followed up. I don't know in which order they went actually. So I shouldn't, don't quote me on that. Cause I was too young, but like Penny and Rowley to me really like put UK skating on the map. Like the only reason I knew what Liverpool was was because Jeff Rowley, not because of, the Beatles or any, you know, any other, like I knew about Jeff Rowley. So it's like, I think that, uh, those guys kind of were larger than life characters from the UK. It really helped cement like the UK's like foothold in skate culture. And, and Danny Wainwright, when he, you know, won the world record for the highest Ollie, it was like, well, that guy's from London too. You know, it was like, it was crazy. It seemed like they were doing, they're kind of everywhere. And a cool thing about wig is that, you know, when you bring up all these names, it's like, dude, he was there for the beginning of all these guys. Like it, it sucks. We didn't end up getting any in the book, uh, but yeah, it's really rad Carl Shipman photos. Uh, you know, this, he was there kind of for the, the beginning of all this, all these guys skating, Alex Mole is another one. Uh, we have a photo in the book of Alex Mole from 92 
and we shot it on like a wide angle lens. Like it, it looks like a Fisher Price my first skate photo. Like it's sick. Like it's one of my favorite photos in the whole thing because it looks so rudimentary for someone like Wig and what he's capable of because it was 1992 and he was still very early into doing all this. So, but yeah, I just think, uh, so there's like an inherent kind of like cool, something cool about London, you know, in the scheme of like major cities in the world that always just feels kind of like taste making and then interesting. And it's maybe a combination of like, you know, there's, there's punk shit from there. There's also hip hop shit from there. Like, I don't know. I think that there's something really rad. I've always resonated with uh with UK friends and UK skating in general. Uh, so maybe that's another reason I leaned into this thing because I just have a weird affinity for the the UK skaters. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Oh, real real quick. I just remembered talking about UK skate history. River Curtis McCann, who was in some Powell videos and shit, and was also on Underworld Element. Like, was super dope. He was like a prodigy. Um, if you go look up like any of his footage, like it's super sick, like super good style for the late eighties, early nineties. He was fucking sick. So that's that's how young I am. I don't even I I don't even know Curtis McCann. That's where like I that's where it feels a little bit impostery when you do like when you put do historical kind of like projects like this where it's like I I know the photos are amazing and I know the skaters are amazing, but like there's people in the book that like I don't I've never seen like a a Pete Helicar part, sadly. Like, I'll admit that. You know, but his photo in the book is one of my favorite. And, like, so it feels a little bit like uh, like I'm I'm faking the funk by putting together, like, a historical thing. But but I guess that's just what happens, right? Like, because you, you bring people up and then I feel lame for not knowing who they are. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I, like, I, I don't know anyone from before I started skating, pretty much, except for, like, oh, you know, Tony Hawk, Mark Gonzalez, like, Bone Street or whatever. That, that's kind of how it should be, you know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It does. And more importantly, this is part of the discovery and hopefully what this means for people who are listening to this, that maybe they might go and check out some of those old video parts. Carl Shipman's part in the stereo video visual sound is still a standout to this day. I mean, he was and remains just a phenomenal dude. I mean, also his appearance in the on the DC Super Tour team. Oh, my goodness. Such a like such an incredible skater and something that and I have. I have seen that part. That's one thing. I have seen Carl Shipman's part in that video, so I'm not too far off. I mean, wow. I mean, we could probably have an entire discussion about a visual sound, and I'm sure at some point we have. Anyway, besides the point, I think one of the contributing factors to a lot more people paying attention to the UK was that 411 World Report with that song, How's Life in London? I think the group's name is London Posse. I could be butchering it, and please do not crucify me for this, but that song, that track is hard, number one. But you have a bunch of footage of the flip team, Deathbox at the time, skating at the, I think it's a Trocadero in Paris, where you can have this beautiful direct view of the Eiffel Tower, marble stairs, you've seen people skating the set there. Anyway, besides the point, I think now that we have so much access to media from all over the world, plus, you know, the era of low cost flights, these places are far more accessible. But at the time, it was just such a fascinating thing to see skateboarding that was not in California. You know, that's why New York popped off and seemed so amazing, even though I'm from there. Same thing with Philly, D.C. Any scene that was not SoCal or the Bay Area seemed incredibly exotic. And social media, you know, particularly YouTube and Instagram has really given us a window into a lot of other places. And speaking of looking back, you know, it's been a while since we last spoke, Matt. Uh, we spoke to you in November of 2020, which... Honestly, feels like decades ago because, I mean, my goodness, it's like we've lived three lifetimes in the last two years and change since then, or almost three. 
So other than working on Golden Hour, what have you been up to since then? Um, yeah, it does feel like a really long time. Um, I still uh, have my job at CCS. Uh, I'm still the brand director over there. So that takes up the vast majority of my time, just all things CCS, uh, you know, marketing and team and stuff like that. Been trying to do more side work, photo shoots, things like that. Working with uh, Closer Magazine a bit, helping Jamie Owens out with uh, that mag. Got to, I was fortunate enough to get to shoot a couple covers, the last two covers of Closer, which is awesome and and feels. Uh, I told someone I, I was feeling a little bit like um, I felt bad for getting two covers in a row because I'm like, oh no, we need to spread the wealth. And then I, someone pointed out, they're like, no, you just at that point in your career maybe where you get to do that. And I thought about it, and I'm like, damn, I have been doing this for, like, 19 years, and I guess it's okay that I got a couple covers in a row. Like, I still, like, I'm like, fuck, dude, I'm getting too much, you know? Like, I feel like it's just something, like, but it's been rad that I'm at, you know, whatever, at that point, or the photos are the right photos, whatever it is, and and Jamie's been down for me to kind of, like, you know, help not just submit photos, but kind of help a little bit creatively over there and give input, because I think it's super, super important to have, a few skate mags in the u.s you know for a few lonely years it was just one and i don't think that's good for skating or good for anything i mean nothing against thrasher like thrasher is obviously a juggernaut it kills it but i think it's it's good for skateboarding to have a few outlets in the print space uh and different different outlets you know i think magazines that are gonna approach skateboarding in a different way i think it's super important to kind of have places where if a kid isn't a thrasher kid, they can, you know, vibe with another mag. So that's been really, uh, really fun to work on. Yeah. About closer real quick. Um, what sets it apart or what makes it, you know, special as opposed to other media outlets? And is it worth $20? It's $20 per issue. So, which is a lot. I would, so it's funny because I don't, I, I would have thought it was a lot a few years ago, but since doing Golden Hour, I don't think it's a lot at all. I think that. People, I think most people who want to buy a print magazine, who actually care enough to own something in print, don't have an issue paying twenty bucks for the mag. Most people, like you, might be the outlier. Some people might be outliers. But I, I, the the bet with Golden Hour was that, like, yeah, if anyone cares enough to want to have this in their bookshelf, they're gonna pay twenty bucks for it. That's not a crazy amount. Get higher, like thirty, forty, fifty. I think then you're you're pushing it for sure. But yes, compared to like a Thrasher, which is, I don't even know how much a Thrasher costs now, six bucks or something, maybe? Yeah, something like that. For sure. Yeah, it's a crazy, it's a huge increase. But I I think that based on what's in there and the way it's printed, like the quality, the last issue, especially the the Louis cover one, dude, when you pick that up and hold it, that paper feels so velvety. Like I was telling people about that. I was like, you got to buy it to find, not trying to sell it, but it's like you touch it and you're like, ooh, the quality of this paper is so nice and the print and like it just feels... It feels high end, you know, and and uh, so to me, it it justifies that. Also, the idea of a magazine being like, well, I'd love to buy every one. It's the quarterly versus monthly that changes the price too. It's like you're, right. you're getting one, you know, four times a year. So if you look at it, amortize eighty bucks over the whole year, you're like, oh, that's not crazy, you know. I subscribe to a few quarterly publications that I spend. Some of them are more than twenty bucks. Again, that's me. I'm like a, a magazine nerd, and I love that shit. But I think it justifies it for sure. Uh, just the fact that it's less comes around less, and I think the the care put into it is at a really high level, and uh, and and again, hopefully the skater they're catering to is also seeing the value in something like a print a really nice piece of printed material for twenty dollars versus, again, maybe a thrasher skater is just like I just want to fucking drink beers and grind pool coping like fuck you and your twenty dollars and that's dope. I'm glad that skater exists, but I like I said, I think it needs to be uh 
you know, it's, it's just caters to a different group of people maybe. So Matt, you've touched upon something very interesting there that we've seen this beautiful over the last few years, diversification of skate media. Do you have any predictions of where this is going to go? Because there's been a lot of talk about the ebb and flow of skateboarding, especially now that we've incorporated the Olympics into our mix of things. And I don't mean to harp on about the Olympics, but it exists, it's there, and it's going to have some sort of pressure. But, you know, it's fascinating to see the work you're doing with Closer, the work you've been doing with Golden Hour and with CCS. Where do you think this is going? Like, where do you think, um, and I, I reckon that mostly skateboarding and other podcasts like Vent City, for example, we're kind of in this interesting bubble. We're not, you know, we, we are not the thrashers of the trans worlds of the world or really just thrasher, but we're not really small potatoes either anymore. Where do you think this is going? I don't know. It's always a lot of pressure to be asked a, asked a question as if you have to be an oracle in the moment. You're like, oh no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be wrong. But I, I do think the way everything is kind of splintering off into smaller groups and there's it's basically just cutting up a pie into a bunch of smaller pieces. And I think what will happen is right now the pie is being cut into tiny, tiny slices. Whereas like right now with Mags, you got Closer, you got 2001, you got Ness, you got like Golden Hour, you got Skate John. I don't even wouldn't throw us in with them because we're such a sporadic thing. But you got Skate John, you got all these mags. There's tons of different mags. They're all kind of small taking their piece of the pie. I think over the next five years or so, a few of these resources will probably need to consolidate because it's a lot of work for one person or a few people to do. I do think, I've been thinking this a lot, actually. Everyone's kind of doing their own project. I think there's a few people are going to end up collaborating rather than doing their own project because it's like the, what's the old saying? Like, if you want to go far, you want to go, I don't know, I'm going to butcher it. I'm not going to say anything. Basically, it takes a village, right? So to make something really big and meaningful and impactful, it might take a few people that are doing their own thing right now, kind of like like getting together and working on something bigger to really make something impactful. And that was kind of the decision with like um like with helping Jamie with closer because I I had I had thought about wanting to do my own like quarterly like media thing and just sort of being like I want to start a skate mag and have it be my thing and go in and I talked to Jamie about it before he started closer and we had talked about partnering and. And, and, uh, and instead of doing that, what we, instead of me doing my own, what I ended up deciding was Jamie does closer and it's his thing, but I want to be like a, a I want to help him with it as much as possible rather than start a competing thing and like go head to head with him. Cause golden hour doesn't see to me, doesn't compete with that. It's less trying to be like traditional skate media, you know, in that way. So I think like, uh, I don't know, I don't know what I'm getting to here, but I, I do think that what's going to happen is right now this pie that's sliced up in lots of little pieces. Some of these pieces are going to combine. If, if we want to see something that's going to really make an impact or, or like succeed long-term or again, go, go head to head with a, with a media, you know, like Thrasher or something. Cause you, that's what you're going to need. It's going to be hard to, to stack up to something like that in the skate industry. And I believe the quote is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That is what, you know, it's funny. I only know that quote from an episode of 30 Rock, and I think they made a joke about it. So the joke was in my head, and I was like, I'm going to tell the joke version right now. I'm going to fuck it up, so I didn't do that. So thank you, Patrick. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, about uh, Closer, I'll tell you what. I, I definitely need to get that one issue for the Kalis interview, big uh, big Kalis guy over here. But um, going back to Golden Hour, so on the cover, there's a, a whirlwind photo of Jagger like doing a frontside ollie on a bank or something. And I'm not a photographer, but it looks like it was shot with some kind of fisheye. And um, so just browsing through your Instagram, it looks like some of your photos used a similar 
technique. So did you get that from uh, Wig Whirling? And if so, or even if not, if so, um, how do you do that? Like, what's a tip for an up, up and coming photog for doing a, a fisheye still shot? So I, I definitely in part, like the way I shoot now is pretty inspired by wig. It's also inspired by people like, Oh, rest in peace. Uh, Spike Jones, Dmitry Elioskovich, uh, obviously like, you know, you're Atibas and Grants and Dave Swift too, but the, the guy, the earlier kind of guys that were shooting a little messier, I always, that's the stuff I resonated with. So it, whether it's directly from wig or not, it is from wig, you know, he's a part of that like scene that kind of inspired what I do now. And yeah, to like, Kids ask a lot about fisheye. You know, there's a lot of questions about like what fisheye do you shoot that with and how'd you do it. The the shit I shoot now is with the Canon like eight to fifteen millimeter fisheye, it's called. And you can zoom out and use different levels of like fishiness, if you will. Kind <laughs> of like it, it Yeah, yeah. It's the yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. So like a lot of my shit now, I'll shoot it like ten to twelve millimeters and then crop out vignette or I'll clone in the corners of the sky to like fix it. So you get a level of distortion that comes from a way wider fish, but your the photo you actually end up seeing has a uh, a larger uh focal area. I don't know if that's the right term or not. I'm really bad at technical shit. But yeah, I mean that's the and also the move with shooting fisheye I think is just really like, dude, it's a weird fucking lens and you can get way too close with it and still make something amazing. You can get way too far away with it and amazing. Like the lens itself is weird and risky. So when you shoot fisheye, I think you need to be weird and take risks. It doesn't make sense to try to perfect a fisheye photo to me and have this like perfect frame with like everything exactly. Like, it can be gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. But like for me, it's like it's such a goofy, dramatic lens that I want to shoot goofy, dramatic skate photos with it. And uh, so that's like the only the main advice, you know, and the, if we want to talk about specifics and gear, like that's probably another conversation altogether about how to, you know, what you can get to do that kind of stuff. But any anyone who ever asked me about fisheye stuff, I always say, if you're shooting digital, shoot a fuck ton of stuff. Try weird, try everything you think isn't going to work because you might love it. You know, the photo that you think won't work is might be the your favorite photo you've ever shot. You know, so I think that's like yeah, yeah. the best advice for shooting fisheye and skate that I can offer. And uh, Matt, so. What about some advice about photographers who are taking that next step up? I think this just now, and then also previously, we talked about advice that you gave about getting into print. What about somebody who is, um, I think you just came back from Puerto Rico, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I just out there a week and a half ago, I think. Ooh, that must have been nice. So let's say we got young photographer or videographer who's about to go on their first skate trip. What kind of, what kind of advice would you give them about getting in the van with a bunch of skaters or a bunch of folks? and having to come through with something. You know what advice I would give? Don't be afraid to to push a little bit. And and I know everyone, when you go on your first skate trip, you're terrified that you're going to kook, right? That's just skate 101. It's like, don't be a kook. Don't bum anyone out. Don't, like, which is crazy. You're never going to live a life where you don't bum anyone out or like make anyone feel slightly uncomfortable for like two seconds. Like, and I'm talking about like little things like shooting a photo of, at the wrong moment maybe versus like saying some out like out of pocket shit that's not what i'm talking about i'm saying like when you're on a trip with people i look back and i regret not shooting more portraits not shooting more of what was happening in the van what was happening out at the bar what was happening you know in between tricks and things like that you get so caught up shooting the tricks and i think what will happen is even if you like shoot a portrait of someone and maybe it made them a little bit uneasy because skaters hate having their portraits taken it sucks but they're like awesome and you want to take their picture so like I avoided so many portraits I could have taken because I was so worried about not cooking it and not making someone feel slightly uncomfortable. 
And I'm talking like uncomfortable in a way where they might just glance at you and then skate off. And they literally were like, oh, and that was it. It was like literally a half a second thing. I was avoiding that moment so much that I missed so much cool shit. That skater who's a little annoyed that you were taking their picture in a couple of years time, even right after the trip, they might see the photo and be like, damn, that's a dope photo. Thank you for taking that. And I've learned a lot from people that I look up to that like just shoot all the time. They shoot everything. Yeah. All the in-between moments. If they see something cool, if they see good light, they're going to grab someone and be like, can I shoot some portraits? Like that's what, especially now with social media and the, what brands, you know, what brands need from a photographer. It's like, dude, you just got to shoot everything and, and don't be afraid to like, to kind of like, you know, maybe ruffle a feather to get your photo or make someone a little, a little uncomfortable here or there, you know, like it's, it's, they're there to be documented. You're there to document. It's, it's part of the process. And I just say that because I've been afraid of it a lot and I've been trying and now in my mid thirties, I'm finally like forcing myself to shoot portraits of my friend. These are my friends we're talking about, like people that I'm like, there's like people that are skaters that I'm afraid to shoot portraits of that were at my wedding. That's not normal. That's not help. Like that's a, like, that is your friend. They came, they traveled to go to your wedding and you still think you're going to bum them out by taking their portrait. Like that. So I have some internalized up shit about that. <laughs> like, I just don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, but, uh, but yeah, that's my, my biggest advice to like skater on their, or, uh, you know, photographer on their first trip or just kind of getting around the, the skaters in their town that like they want to shoot or whatever is like, yes, don't bum anyone out a lot, but just like, also don't be afraid. Like if you think there's a cool photo, take it. And that's always going to win out, I think, in the end. So I have a quick detour question here. Number one, you know, you mentioned you've been doing this for 20 years and you're hitting that point in your career in which you are definitively an expert. It is not by accident that you are doing the things that you are doing. So how have you fought through that imposter syndrome that hits all of us when we get to a point where we realize, oh, wow, I'm doing this on my own without crib notes. I'm leaning off of my own experience and expertise. No one is telling me how to do this. No one is telling me how to be a photographer. No one is instructing me or I'm not apprenticing under anybody. I'm the boss. And then my second question then is when you're on a trip, how are you finding time to do the photographer's equivalent of doing rushes, quick edits, getting things organized so that when you get home and you have to deliver things to whoever you're shooting for, that they're somewhat edited and somewhat organized. So first question is imposter syndrome. How are you battling through it? Or if you don't have it, that's cool. Tell me how to not have it. And number two is how do you find time to actually edit and uh, manage your work while you're on a trip when all your buddies are like, come on, Matt, we're going to come out and crush some beers on the late night tip. <laughs> you know, it's funny about modern skaters. I was just having this conversation today. They don't party as hard as skaters did like 10 years ago. So that that's not nearly as every like major skate trip I've been on recently. It's like, dude, everyone kind of like goes to bed at reasonable hours. Everyone kind of has time to edit their shit at night. Like, it's really not as much of a... Also, maybe that's just because I'm older, so the pull isn't there. But I also still love to go out and have have the beers on the late night tip. So if, if the skaters are like, let's go to a bar, I'll be like, yeah, I'll go to a bar. But like, you know, just in Puerto Rico just now, like, no one was really gunning to go to the bar every night. So I was like, I had a night where I was like, yeah, let's, there's a casino next door. Let's go to the casino. I sent it to the group chat of like 12 people. And like one person, uh, Ariana Spencer, was like, I'll go. And like me and Ariana just went to the casino, just the two of us. And I taught her how to play like roulette and shit. And it was like super fun. But I we were, I was just laughing about it because I'm like, dude, I have been on like Freddy Gall missions where like we're out till like seven in the morning and then we're in the van the next day at 10, you know, and I, I'm in no way trying to do that in my in my mid to late 30s. But I still think like it, it is it's a lot easier to, to, to 
get the rush and turn stuff around these days. Everyone takes it a little more seriously. They treat it a little more like a job, I think. And and honestly, it's a really healthy thing. There's a lot, from my perspective on skate trips, there's a lot less substance abuse than there used to be. There's a lot less like crazy partying and shit. So that is a really healthy uh, byproduct of that. And to touch base on the imposter syndrome thing, dude, I, I fucking have it so stupidly bad. As you said that, I still, I immediately thought about the last couple photos I've shot that people were stoked on. And I'm like, oh, the Louis photo. Like, that was just luck. I shot a sequence. I didn't know he was going to be in the perfectly centered in the trash can. So in my head, the first thing I think is like, oh, that's luck. Like, I just chopped that whole photo up to I got lucky. Nothing about like my own resourcefulness or ideas or whatever, like out the window. I just immediately go, oh, well, you got lucky. That wasn't your timing. You shot like 12 frames and you just got lucky. He was in the middle. And that's how I kind of approach every single thing I do. I, I have to like have a, some version of like, oh, well, you know how to do this. So just go do it. But I get like, dude, I had fucking like horrible anxiety leading up to the Golden Hour show. I put on a bunch of photo shows. I know how to do it. But the night before I couldn't sleep and I was losing my mind over like, I don't even know what. So so yeah, I have no idea how to how to not feel like an imposter, and I will probably feel like it every day until I die because it's just no matter what you do or what you achieve, it always just feels weird. Like I don't know, it just it doesn't feel right. Or there's there's tiny tiny pieces of time where you're like, I feel like I know what I'm doing today, you know. And uh, but most of the time, it's like I don't know what I'm doing until the second I do it, and then I'm like, Whew, thank God I did it. Yeah, with like the imposter syndrome and shit, like. I don't know. I think you just have to do something enough to where you're like, all right, I've done this X amount of times. Um, I'm really, I'm fairly confident at it. I'll, I'll figure it out. I've always figured it out in the past. I've never not figured it out, you know? So you just kind of like do it and turn off your brain a little bit and just, you know, don't think about it. I don't know. But anyway. That's a really good way to, that, uh, just real quick, Jason, that's a really good way to put it because that's what it is. That's how you fight it. You don't say it. You don't say, I know how to do this. I got this. You say, I'll figure it out because I. you don't have any idea how you're going to do it until you do it, but you always yeah, exactly. have to figure it out. And it's like that's like the best way to do it. It's like, well, I, I said yes to this, so clearly I think I can do it. And then you're like, I'll just figure it out. But like, there's never this like a uh, pure confidence that's like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 I think, I think, I think everyone was like that. But um, real quick, you mentioned some of your, uh, side work there is one of those skf bearings and uh, how did how did that come about yeah so the skf thing has been rad uh my friend casper uh he has an agency where he kind of helps brands from outside of skating that are getting into skating uh kind of like assemble a team and kind of run a program with skf skf's been in and out of skating a few times they had a team maybe like i don't know 15 years ago or something um skf is like the oldest bearing manufacturer one of the oldest and the world they're like making bearings for 120 years or some shit they make them for airplanes and fucking god knows what i don't know nuclear super colliders some shit but they uh so naturally they're like well we should make skateboard bearings uh so they got back in and i think um they, they have a really rad team of guys over in let me get this wrong i think it's sweden switzerland i don't know i can't remember sweden or switzerland that's so yeah i mean. think it's i think it's sweden I, I think okay, let me let me start, let me start that, that research let me start that over then um so they, they have a really rad team of people over in Sweden that run the brand uh, and the bearings, the skate bearings at least are made in Italy. That was the first cool thing I noticed about them when I opened the bearing pack and it says made in Italy. It felt, and that felt sick to me because of fashion and because of Berettas. Like the, the I don't know why, like I just thought about Berettas, like the handguns, they're made, they're like super nice and they're made in Italy and shit. And like, I'm not a gun person at all, 
but I appreciate like uh like craftsmanship and like you know kind of like analog things that are made in that way. But you're like, uh, damn, I'm like these pairings are made in Italy. I was like, that's pretty sick, <laughs> which is so funny because that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But yeah, Casper put together a team. I mean, he basically put together the the superstar team, which I think has is a double edged sword because you know you got a lot of really amazing skaters, and if you can get them in the one and get them in one place at once. It's incredible, but getting that group of people in one place at once is fucking gnarly, dude. It's so hard to do, and I don't envy him at all. But he, uh, yeah, he kind of just, you know, hit me up and asked me if I wanted to be the unofficial, you know, photographer. I'm not on staff or anything, but they basically just hit me up. We do two or three shoots a year, uh, and he just, you know, hits me up ahead of time. We make a plan, and I get a day rate, and we go out and shoot all that stuff. And, I mean, it's really sick. It's It's really sick to have a reason to go shoot with you know the literally the best skaters on the planet like that's fucking i I can hit people up to go shoot but i don't always have a good enough reason so i don't do it you know like i could probably call people and be like let's go shoot a photo but then you know why what's it for where where are we gonna go so casper makes it easy for me where he's like you're gonna be in one place with alexis louis you know ashad and tiano or something and i'm just like that sounds like the easiest job ever so it's uh it's been pretty rad yeah, speaking of, uh, you know, some of the best skaters in the world, you recently shot some really dope photos of Tiago at the uh, at the Sand Gaps, you know, the Venice Ledges, legendary spot. What's it like shooting with that guy? That was the first time I ever shot with him, and I'm I'm a huge fan, so I was definitely, like, I was a little nervous for sure. Uh, he's super nice, so it made it a lot easier. But, um, dude, it was just, it was cool to shoot him, and it was cool to shoot him there. You know, such a cool, iconic spot. His skating fits that spot so well. So I was just kind of like fanned out the whole time on that session. And uh, and he just, dude, he's incredible. Like watching him skate is just like fucking his process. is. I think like for like the, the Venn diagram of like talent and uh, I don't know, persistence or drive, you know, or something like the two circles for him, like overlap perfectly. Exactly. Because it's like his talent level matches his drive. Like he just, he, he did a line for like an hour, an hour and a half, maybe to the point where we thought, oh, uh, he might not want to get anything else. Like he might be too tired. He just tried that line for a really long time. Got it perfect. And then after did uh switchback tail over to switchback tail over the little hole. And that took like a chunk of time for him to figure out. And then after that, just did like the back heel and the switchback heel over the ledge. Like it was, it was nuts. Like he just like, he didn't stop skating. And it was like a four hour probably session where he just like took five minute breaks and smoke some weed you know a couple times and that was it and it was just like dude get, getting to be in the presence of skating like that is like really special and i always try to remind myself to not get complacent not feel like you know you get you get used to things you know we were humans can get used to anything you can live in a fucking 70 million dollar mansion in the hills and like after a year be sick of it you know or not even notice that you have the best view on the planet whatever and so it's like dude when you're out with skaters like that you got to constantly be like this is insane watch this you know, like appreciate this. This is fucking crazy. <laughs> like, so that that's what that session was like. That for me, just being like, take it in. This is you're you're watching Picasso paint right now. Fucking Man, pretty incredible. incredible. How does that work? Does he tell you like, all right, I'm gonna do a switch back tail, then like go over the the crack and then back and switch back tail, or like what's the uh, process there? Yeah, I think like maybe like Casper or I threw it out. Like, you know, he he kind of figured out the line he wanted to do first, and he was doing the line. And then uh, we were like, we need a still for the ad. So, you know, we were like, oh, maybe this would be cool. Maybe you could do this, you know. And, and um, you know, just kind of throw out suggestions. And I think he's pretty easy. And he's also like, do everything. So he's like, yeah, okay, I could do that. And which is 
almost to me more impressive than some of the really tall switchback tails he's done because holding a switchback tail that long and then hopping over to another one is like you know, it was takes a lot of finesse you know but he uh yeah that was definitely like kind of a it's it's usually a collaborative effort when you're there to shoot uh when you take a skater to a spot and it's like we need to shoot something here then you can collaborate and be like hey why don't you try this or would you be into this or whatever if the skater calls you and is like i want to frontside flip this rail obviously you're there for them to frontside flip the rail but um that that kind of shoes a little more like we can all throw out ideas and like that's when you get to really fan out because you get to be like well this dude's one of my favorite skaters so i'm gonna see if i can get i'm gonna suggest yeah. a trick i want to see right now <laughs> that must be amazing oh, yeah. to be able to to work with skaters who are skating at that caliber you know something i wonder about doing that and you, you talked about you know sometimes you have to pinch yourself to keep yourself from becoming complacent about is there anybody that you want to shoot with that you have yet to shoot with? Like who is on who's on that dream list? Hmm. It's a good question. There's definitely some people out there. I'm trying. Oh, Nautis. Nautis is the top of the list. If I could shoot, a, if I could shoot anything of Nautis, I would be ecstatic. Even a portrait. But like, if I could shoot Nautis doing a frontside wall ride, even if it was six inches off the ground, I would fucking lose my shit. One of my favorite photos is an O photo of Nautis doing a front wall ride in, in Venice. I just it's burned in my brain and like dude i i'm a huge Nottis fan so Nottis is definitely top of the list for me or modern skaters like you know current skaters that i haven't shot with i re i really like uh Hator da silva i think he is really sick and he's super photogenic i would like to shoot a photo of him one day if i could i've done i've shot video of him for something but never photos uh and beyond that like i think of anyone that's more current you know that i would be excited to shoot with I'm actually, luckily, current-wise, I've been able to shoot with a lot of the skaters that I'm really big fans of in, in you know, this era. So I think it, it goes back to, like, old era. You know, it's it's not as... Gods, I've never shot a skateboard or I have at, like, an Adidas event at the Adidas Park, but I don't think that counts. Like, I would love to shoot a street photo with Gons. Like, that would be fucking amazing. Like, so, yeah, it's a pretty, like, easy answer, but, like, Dottis and Gons would probably be the two top of the list, you know, people for me to shoot with. That sounds like it would be a hell of an odyssey. Like, you wouldn't just be going, like, I'm going to meet you at 2.30 and we're going to shoot this photo somewhere in New York. It's going to be like, we're going to go get pizza, then we're going to go get art supplies, you're going to come to my space. You know, it's kind of like that um, that Strobeck interview where he talks about following guns around for a day. And you had mentioned the, the late, great Otis Bartholomew, oh, who uh, passed away a couple of weeks ago. And I think really the only other question I have for you is that, you know, we've got a lot of folks uh, who are getting on in their years. Um, they're either middle-aged or uh, AARP adjacent. And, you know, we've got folks who've got these deep, deep archives and in some cases an encyclopedic knowledge of skate history. And something I think that skateboarding has to get better about is, is capturing and maintaining those stories. What do you think that we need to do as a culture to catalyze that, to emphasize the importance of maintaining and cataloging our history? That's a really good question. And I'm not going to lie, when O passed away a couple weeks ago, I one of the thoughts I did have was what happens to his archive, who has access to that, like, you know, and it made me think like just about like not setting up a will, but setting up something with my wife or someone to be like, if anything happens to me, God forbid, this is where this stuff is and make sure it gets in the hands of these people, you know, because like, again, I don't not saying that anything I have is like a historical document yet, but it might be. We won't know for another like 20 or 30 years. So it's like, you know, it's it could be important. So to that, you know, question, I would say like, it would be great if we had like a, you know, a skateboarding library of Congress type thing, you know, where some, that would be a really cool nonprofit for someone to start, you know, maybe it's through like I ask or, you know, even maybe it's like a media company like Thrasher or Jinkum or someone that kind of decides to like, 
take skate photographers archives and kind of like digitize them or take the digitized versions and hold them somewhere with an agreement that, you know, this is like sacred stuff. It's not going to be sold. It's not going to be printed, you know, or maybe it's watermarked. Who knows how you do it? But it would be really, really cool for skateboarding and skate history if there was a kind of a, you know, a library, a central library where everyone that shot, everyone that filmed, you know, you get, you just gathered up all the media people in skating. Actually, you know, it'd be great at that. Kevin Marks. I feel like at Kevin Marks from the Look Back Library, the way he is with magazine collecting and stuff, like, if he put his energy into like creating uh, a digital library of skate media, he would he would kill it, and it would all be you know cataloged forever. And whether that's for public consumption or not would be another question. You know, it could just. But my dream would be like, there's a space. How sick would that be? Like a, a skate history museum. Like fuck, that would be so cool. But someone has to take a lot of time and a lot of energy to make it happen. And sadly, I am not that person right now. But maybe when I get older, if I don't, you know. I don't kick the bucket before then. <laughs> I think that would be amazing. And also, you know, as a musician, I'm a huge fan of O's work as a guitar tech and as a player. You know, he is somebody with uh, deep ties to Fender guitars. Uh, he is a huge proponent of the Fender Jazzmaster and other offset guitars. And his Instagram was just a source of so, so much information. And it's really sad to think, hey, I never got to meet the guy because he just seemed like he was so interesting. I mean, you know, his band Olive Lawn was in the first two Plan B videos. You know, that alone puts him in the skate elite, the skate music elite. But all the other things that he did as a, as a guitar tech, as an amp tech, as a luthier, somebody who was just so much in music and skateboarding, it, it's scary to think that, you know, it's scary to think that uh, we don't know what's, what's going to happen next. Dude, I didn't know that O produced uh, Cheshire Cat, the first Blink album, until like, the day he died, my friend Blake pointed that out to me. I was like, God damn, dude has touched. And he's another one of those people that deserves, you know, the weak treatment. You know, it's like, dude, let's let's get a celebration of all the shit this dude did because he's touched a thousand amazing things. And he's another one of those magical people, you know. And, you know, I would actually I would for real, for real be stoked to attend uh, a celebration of O's work uh, because he does deserve to be celebrated. And skateboarding is filled with so many interesting characters. I hate to use the cliche, but every cliche is rooted in truth. Give people their flowers while they're still with us. Give people their flowers. Yes, that's, that's, I mean, I think about it every time someone passes and you see the Instagram eulogies and it's like, man, you know, it'd be great if there was this op opportunity while someone was alive. And that's kind of against circle pull back. Like this wig project was just like, it felt so cool to see him at the show in LA last month. Like with all these UK friends that have moved to the States and all these people, you know, he and just getting like he was there to be celebrated, you know, and it felt so cool to have been a part of putting that on. And, and we're doing it in the UK at the end of the month, actually. We're going to do the show again in London uh, on, I think, on March 30th. And it's just, again, it, it people deserve to get that. They deserve to see how much they've impacted people while they're still around. And it's heartbreaking to know that people will pass and not really understand maybe the full extent of what they meant to people then you know maybe they'll never understand it while they're alive either so you know they like we go back to the imposter syndrome thing <laughs> maybe they'll just never understand it but uh but yeah i i agree with you there matt it has been an absolute pleasure and i'm absolutely stoked that you're going to be going over across the pond to uk shout out to the mandem and the Galdem over there uh which brings us to the part of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on matt what are you stoked on this 
Well, I'm I'm fresh off this, so I'm stoked on Wig Warland, I'm stoked on UK skateboarding, and I'm stoked on film photography, specifically skateboarding shot on film. That's those are the things that are really uh running my life right now. And uh Jason, what are you stoked on this week? Stoked on Venture Trucks, uh, made in San Francisco, California. Stoked on season six of the TV show Snowfall. Um, one of the best drug shows ever. It's probably just like just one one little notch below Breaking Bad and The Wire. Stoked on a video out of Grand Rapids, Michigan called Rapport 2. I always like seeing spots in parts of the country that you've probably never seen before, especially ledge spots, things of that nature. So there's a shit ton of that. In that video, some Caleb's footage too. Finally stoked on Niels Bennett's new part over on Free Skate Mag called Heroes Held In. First part filmed by Torsten Frank, I think, in uh, Europe mostly. Second part filmed by friend of the pod, Chris Mullern. Gets a bunch of hair spots. And in my opinion, this is his best, best video part ever. He, he really put it together. Patrick, what are you stoked on this week? Um, I'm stoked on a lot this week. Of course, I am stoked on Spitfire Wheels. I'm stoked on slow impact recaps, which continue to trickle out. Jenkins just came out um, a couple of days ago. Uh, no, yesterday, actually, on March the 1st. I'm stoked on drill tops or training tops because they look really, really good. Uh, they're cool to skate in, and they look really, really good if you just make them look nice with a good pair of jeans and some nice shoes. Pocket Magazine's Fallen series, this time with uh, Jacopo Carozzi. I uh, believe he's a skater who's based out of Milan, and I really want to go to Milan and skate and post up and buy really cool clothes. Very, very, very stoked on the impending return of Daylight Savings Time. Not this coming weekend, but the following. Uh, Genesis 3 is going to be premiering in Seattle on March 3rd and here in Los Angeles on March 7th. Get your best fit. Come through Look and Fly. It is going to be the event we are going to turn out. It's going to be so much fun. Absolutely stoked on what Ian and the crew got cooking up. Uh, very, very stoked on the footage that's been coming out of the crew from Apache Skate. We got to kick it with over in Tempe uh, during Slow Impact. Leo Romero's new part. And finally, the band Pulp. I've been listening to Pulp all day in remembrance of the late, great Steve Mackey as their bass player. Uh, Steve also had touched on a whole bunch of other stuff in the music industry, helped MIA get a major label deal, um, actually co-produced the song Galang, which was her breakout hit. Um, his name is everywhere, and he will be sorely, sorely missed. He was in hospital for about three months. And yeah, so that's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out mostlyskateboarding.net for links and other show notes. Until then, you can keep up with us online. Matt, where can the people find you and your work on the internet? People can find me at PricyHot on uh, all handles. And Twitter, all that. At PricyHot everywhere. Jason, where can the people find you on the internet? You can find me at Carbonite1994 on Twitter, at Frozen and Carbonite on Instagram, and writing stuff for quartersnacks.com, working on it, uh, working on some stuff for second quarter and maybe third quarter. Patrick, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter under the handle at Colonel K Speaks. You can also find me on Instagram at the handle at PKigongo. Also, I'm still doing stuff as the board chair for the Harold Hunter Foundation. That's it for our show this week. Be safe, everybody. I think that's it. Matt, it's been a pleasure once again. We hope to have you on for three peat. I am super down. Uh, thank you, Matt. Awesome. Yes, sir, man.
Freestyle. On your marks, get set, go! 